Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the IBS Freedom Podcast. I am Nikki, and I'm joined by the wonderful, talented, beautiful Amy Hollenkamp. Howdy, howdy. And honestly, I think that Amy's going to be bestowing the majority of the knowledge on us in this episode. I'm going to kick back and maybe share an antidote or two, or anecdote? Antidote? No. No, I said that wrong. Anyway, hmm. I'm going to share a story or two, maybe. But I think Amy is going to be dropping all the knowledge bombs on this one, because this is going to be, um, well, we're going to talk about a condition that you might have. And it's yeah. fairly common amongst people with IBS and SIBO. At least we hmm. have observed that. We have yet to do an episode on it yet. Crazy. Yeah. In a hundred something episodes. And um it could be really significantly impacting your health journey. And I bet when you hear the name of this condition, uh, people are like, spit it out already. Just get on with it. Uh, when right. you hear the name of this condition, I think you're going to have a very distinct image in your head initially. But hopefully you are open-minded to listen okay. to the whole thing, because I think that you'll see that this can take on many different shapes and forms and flavors and there's a particular flavor that a lot of you at home might very well be struggling with. So Amy, you right. want to be in charge of the big reveal? What diagnosis, what condition am I talking about? Mm. The yeah, the diagnosis is OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, again, I think you're dead on. Even in the therapy realm, it seems that it gets missed a lot. Um, because again, there's this misconception that like OCD is just someone like cleaning and being really germaphobic and mm -hmm. like, you know, being super scared of germs and cleaning all the time or doing rituals that you can visibly see. And, and those are again, more obvious cases of maybe OCD where you, you know, um, where it's super obvious. My husband is a good example of this, where he's cleaning all the time. And again, like nothing's clean enough. Um, that's a very obvious case of, of OCD. Um, and you said typically he makes a lot of, sorry, he makes a lot of lists too, you were saying also. Oh yeah, oh, tons of lists. Um, lists is a really common one um, for OCD. Because with OCD, there's it's called obsessive compulsive. So there's some sort of obsession, which when we think of obsession, like, I wish they used a different word, but I don't know what the word would be. But it's more just like probably a, a deep seated fear or an anxiety mm. that becomes something that you ritualize. So like, um, for instance, I mean, this is a common one. Um, this isn't really my flavor, but there's something called like harm OCD, which again, like they are worried they're just going to like punch someone, mm. even though that's totally outside of their character and it's really irrational. That's like a form of OCD where like, oh, they're worried they're going to hurt someone they love yeah. and they get like obsessed about it. And it's like very irrational. They know it's irrational, but they're like, but what if? Yeah. Like, what if I lose control? What if I sleepwalk and do it? Like all these different scenarios kind of pop and into their head it's it go ahead well i was just gonna say i think that's one of the key things about ocd right is the but what if like those right. three words probably characterize so much of ocd like okay and this is where we get into like ibs and SIBO a bit right. oh i feel better today but what if i eat something bad and i feel worse i feel right. okay this week but what if it's only temporary I feel okay right now, what if I backslide again? Or right. I don't feel healthy today, 
what if this is permanent? What if I never get better? Right. What if I'm always going to be like right. this? What if I'm well, ruining I my think child's future? Whatever. Right. And I think that like when we think of OCD, you think of things being very like visual, like seeing someone do a ritual where they like tap three times yep. or, and, and again, like that's, that's where, what we typically think of as OCD, but mm-hmm. like particularly, so I had OCD flaring up postpartum and even pre like delivery. So perinatal OCD as well. Um, and like it, it mines all they call it pure OCD I think or pure something where it's all like mental compulsions mm. so like for me like I'm not sitting there counting things or like like doing anything physically that you can see locking the but door a I'm bunch ruminating of right yeah. I'm ruminating in my head and trying to logistically tell myself why this isn't rational so like for instance through my journal journey with kind of postpartum ocd which i'll share maybe a little bit about with a guest where we have coming up we've already recorded it but we're doing this kind of precursor episode but like i describe it as you know you have thoughts and fears and stuff coming up and really like there's a very common thread between anxiety and ocd and even the guest expert we have on kind of says they're similar and a lot of the same um a lot of the same strategies are going to work for both conditions really um but the thing about it is is like for me like maybe an intrusive thought comes up and everybody has intrusive thoughts so like weird thoughts that just come up that are super strange like what if i what if i slap that person what if i um what if I drop my baby? What if, um, you know, and, and it can, and again, like, what if I never get better? So bring it back to the IBS situation. Like, what if I can't clear my SIBO? What if I, um, you know, am living like this the rest of my life? What if, like, yeah. all these questions you can ruminate on? And so, like, that's the obsession. So, like, yeah. in, the, in the IBS space, that would be the obsession where it would be, okay, what if my health doesn't improve? And that is a hard thought to, to sit with. Um, but someone with OCD, that thought becomes very sticky. So like when I had my health issues, looking back, because I've, I've kind of discovered this, I think I really had health OCD and, and health anxiety um, in my health journey where like, okay, I definitely had those thoughts of what if I never get better? Uh, what if I'm like this forever? Um, and so then I would go into this, this state of mind which i describe as like being a lawyer and trying to like give a counter argument of like why that's a that's a stupid thought like no i'm gonna get better these are the things i'm gonna do i just have to research more i just have to find the right provider i just have to do all these things like so it becomes i just have to listen to all these podcasts like it becomes me trying to solve um the the problem and again it and I think the key point when we're talking about this in the context of health OCD is that we're not saying that your symptoms aren't valid um, or that you're, you aren't struggling with health issues. But I think in the context of like our clients, we see this coming up and it exacerbates the physical symptoms. So like if your life is getting so consumed by, by these thoughts um, or fears and anxieties, Um, that are so common with OCD and then you're doing kind of these compulsory behaviors where you're trying to look for reassurance 
So whether it's from a provider or a friend, like it's really common with OCD of looking for reassurance. So, you know, um, how can I, how can I ensure I get better? How do I know for certain? We're always looking for certainty that we'll never have. It's called the doubt disorder. So again, like we can never for sure, even as providers say, we can 100% help you with with 100% certainty. But with OCD, that's what we want. And yeah. like having uh, any degree of um, like unknowingness or like, again, uncertainty is is hard for us to deal with. Um, so yeah, it's it's been very interesting through my own experience, kind of looking back and realizing, whoa, like I definitely had health anxiety and health OCD going on. And a lot of the stuff that I did that seemed to help me get better um, was kind of re-engaging in my life, not getting so sucked up, like kind of just being like, ah, screw it. I've, you know, I've I've dealt with these health issues long enough. I'm going to try to like just take a break from them for a little bit Mm -hmm. and re-engage in my life. And maybe it's not perfect, but like that really seemed to help my journey. So, but yeah, I I think, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, which is we might get to this later anyway one of the things that you've taught me because honestly like i knew nothing about ocd prior to you kind of helping educate me on this and uh one of the things you've mentioned is that exposure therapy is one Mm -hmm. of like the hallmark treatments of ocd and basically you were doing exposure therapy with yourself when you convinced yourself to like eat some foods that maybe were bad or right. play a partial game of basketball when you thought that you couldn't. And it's right. it's literally just saying, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway. That's kind of the essence of the exposure therapy in a lot of ways. Like, okay, if Ed, can I steal one of the best stories from you? You might have brought this up on your own later. Can I steal it? Yeah, yeah, be go a jerk? ahead. Okay. Yeah. You had mentioned to me that there was a podcast that you had listened to. And one woman, as, as a really... Uh, really crazy example she got really scared that she was gonna like stab her grandma right right totally not logical like i would never do that i love my grandma why would i think that but again that intrusive thought became sticky and it kept recurring right and no matter how much she tried to like logic her way out of it like oh i love my grandma so much why would i do that it it couldn't like the rationality just didn't solve the problem. But I think you had mentioned at some point telling me about that story, you were like, theoretically, the therapy for that particular form of OCD would be like, oh, because she started to avoid her grandma and she started to like avoid being in a room with sharp objects. So theoretically, the ultimate exposure therapy could be, you know, just being in a room with your grandma. And then with a knife. Yeah. And (laughs) then like uh, the next step up would be like being alone in a room with your grandma plus a knife. And then like the ultimate might be to like, I don't know, like go to a knife store with your grandma and just be like surrounded by machetes and knives and swords. (laughs) And like, but it's like you have you have to prove to yourself that you can overcome the obsession or the fear. And the exposure therapy is the way to do that. And to take it back over to IBS and SIBO. Well, can I stop you? Yes, can I stop you for one course. second there? I think like the thing to acknowledge too is like some of these examples might sound so wild to you, but it's all about what you value. So OCD, and we'll again, we'll talk about this. I'm really excited about the guest expert we interviewed, but like 
OCD goes after what you value. So like some of these examples might seem wild to you, like, oh, I could never like have that fear, but OCD latches. So like usually the gentlest people are the one that have harm OCD or like think they're gonna like stab someone. Those are the people that are like, oh my God, that thought is so horrendous to me Mm -hmm. that I can't get rid of it. So like, um, that's what's so interesting. Like when they actually do research, people with harm OCD are much less likely to actually hurt anyone than the normal person but because again like it's right they fear it the most they like think it's so real that like they have an image of themselves hurting someone and it's again very debilitating um and again the more they think about it the more real it becomes so like you want to put yourself in situations that that where you can build confidence and get exposure and like what nikki's saying it's like a constant build-up yeah. And like even that girl, so in the, it was a course that I took about intrusive mm. thoughts. And, and this was an example that the therapist was using. So she was working with this girl. And the therapist would even say, like, maybe you are going to stab your grandma. Like, so like kind of throws out examples to yeah. like force you to be like, oh, well, I can't with 100% certainty say I won't. Like, I wouldn't because you could. Mm. You could theor- theoretically do that. Um, but you wouldn't because it's against your values. But like, again, I, I think that the therapy is putting you in a situation of like even more doubt and getting you more comfortable with that. So the, the therapist would bring in like a knife to, to therapy and be like, okay, here's a knife. Like if yeah. you're going to hurt me or anything, like, again, I trust you. So it's, it's these, these situations that seem so kind of weird. But I think in the IBS health space... Um, good examples of this, like with OCD in the health world is like, again, um, wanting reassurance all the time. So like, if you're asking your provider, like, Hey, like, will I ever get better? How do I know I'm going to get better? How do we know this is the right path? Like if you're always questioning the decision-making, that's a a kind of big sign. Um, or just the, even if you don't question them necessarily like even if you right. trust your provider but you still seek that reassurance right like and i've had patients now in retrospect i've had patients where this was the thing like i had one lady every single appointment without fail she would ask are you really sure you can help me are you really right. really really sure am i a lost cause am i too far gone to help and every single time i would tell her like no i'm still very sure I can help you. And, you know, now we know too, is like one of the other treatments, if you will, for OCD is to not seek that reassurance and Mm -hmm. train the people around you that if you do seek reassurance, they have to deny it. Like, so in that case, I thought I was doing the right thing. And I thought I was being honest and compassionate telling that woman, yes, I still fully believe you can heal from this. I fully believe I can help you. And in retrospect, I should have told her, hey, like, you know, you're doing it again. And we know that this is counterproductive to your health or your, your healing journey. So I'm going to acknowledge the question, but I'm not going to answer it. Because you and I both know that this is not going to help you even if I do answer you. And To be honest, like we worked together for quite some time and I, I wasn't able to profoundly help her. And I think a big part of it was that block. And like, I remember telling her at one point, I said, 
And again, this was maybe the wrong way to do it. I said, I will keep offering you the reassurance that you need. Like, I'll answer the question honestly every time you ask it. But I think that it's worth acknowledging the pattern here that every single session you're asking me this. And I can ask, I can answer you a million times, but you're still going to ask one millionth and one time if you don't believe it yourself. That's the key. Right. It's like no amount of external reassurance is actually going to help if you yourself don't believe that you're capable of getting better. Or if you yourself have that doubter in your brain right. saying, you know, well, I know Dr. Deneza said she could still help me and I'm not I'm not too far gone to help. But what if she's wrong? Right, right. Or what if she doesn't right. know I have a rare disease and she just hasn't caught it yet? And like, I secretly have cancer and she doesn't even know. Or what if, right. you know, insert scenario here, but um, can you speak a little bit to the irrationality bit? And like, mm. do you want to share the name that you have given your OCD thoughts when they pop up? Because that I found pretty amusing. Yeah, so, and I think um, the one thing I will mention about the reassurance, so like having like one time getting reassurance is fine. It's when it becomes a continual thing. So like if you're like someone is like, it's, it's always nice to have reassurance at times. But like if you're someone yeah. that needs it all the time, that's where it becomes problematic. But yes, I think I think from my end, again, like OCD, what happens is, again, you have these intrusive thoughts that kind of intrude on your life. And you're like, whoa, that was like a scary thought or like a thought that's totally against my values or again, just like that's repetitive and sticky. Um, so again, like you could have the thought of, oh, I'm never gonna get better. I'm just gonna be sick forever. What if I'm sick forever? Like, again, that could be the thought that's coming in and that's just like barreling through to you. Yeah. And again, these are thoughts that I had during my own journey. I think my OCD tends to be a little more episodic. So like throughout my life, if I look back, I can see like periods of time where it, like, whoa, that was a very OCD-ish period for me. Um, but, you know, if you're dealing with health stuff and feel like, oh, I might never get better. Like th this is this is the thought that I just, I'm thinking about all the time. And like, what if I can't, what if because I'm not better, I can't get married or I can't like, again, like live my life. It, it just spirals and spirals and spirals. And like your brain is really wanting you to pay attention to this because it's like something that you value and the thought is kind of against it. So your brain's just like, whoa, you need to pay attention to this right now. Um, the example that they give a lot with OCD is like an unwanted house guest coming, just like barreling through. And a lot of times when you have OCD, instead of being like, oh, that's an annoying house guest and kind of blaming there are like putting more of the onus on like, oh, that was just a thought. This is not me. This is just kind of a thought that's coming up. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we like put it on ourselves. So like we kind of beat ourselves up and say like, why am I having this this weird thought? Instead of just being like, your brain has weird thoughts all the time mm -hmm. and, you know, moving on. It's like making um, it a character flaw for yourself. Right, like, right, exactly. So like that was a big thing in the course I took. We'll have to link to that because it's, it's Emma's... Um, yeah, Emma's in a colleague. Yeah, Emma's okay, colleague yeah. had a had an intrusive thought course that was pretty good. Um, but she says again, like when this person barrows in, we like, you know, take take um, responsibility for it when 
when it's really not something we need to take responsibility for. It has no meaning, really. Like, we put more meaning on it than it really needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, basically, what I call my my thoughts that come up at times um, is crackhead Steve. That's my, my uh, OCD dissociation. Because you kind of want to... Um, it's called cognitive diffusion. But you want to, defu- like, be able to kind of look at your thoughts versus being in your thoughts yeah like be like separate yourself from them a bit right so like that's kind of what cognitive diffusion is it's like being able to kind of see all the thoughts and be like oh that's kind of spam or like fake news sort of if you want to go there um or get just like a, a crackhead screaming at you weird stuff that's kind of how i put it in my brain it's like okay, there's that crackhead again trying to, like, pull me down that rabbit hole of, like, you're never going to get better and all this stuff. Yeah. And g- because the more you engage in the thought and the more you put meaning behind the thought, uh, the the more you're going to go down the, the OCD rabbit hole and the deeper the obsessions and the ruminations get. So, if yeah. you're again, if you're someone that just, like, ruminates on certain things, it's a very kind of... Um, that tends to be my form of OCD. I don't. I don't have like uh, ticks or uh, like counting things or anything like that. That's a little. I think you just fibbed a little accidentally. I think you do. Because oh. um, I think you had shared with me that one thing that you sometimes would do in like the compulsion side of things is like you would go back and revisit the same article, Ooh, yeah, or yeah, you would yeah, yeah. revisit the same Instagram. Okay, post, you're right. Even though you knew you weren't going to get new information out of it because right. you already read it. This was. Right, because sometimes it can be really sneaky. So, mm-hmm. like you, and these will be things that I'll discuss, like with my, um, with my therapist, because it's like, at times, like I almost became a little OCD about the OCD. Like I need to figure out, like, okay. and it, I think it might even be like the health anxiety coming out in me too. It's like, oh, I need to figure everything out about this condition, blah 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 blah. But when I was researching OCD, what I would do sometimes is like, um revisit certain posts that would kind of calm my anxiety about it so like anything that gives you relief that you do repetitively is probably more of like a compulsion because compulsions they help relieve anxiety in the short term but Mm -hmm. they don't do anything to help you in the long term they basically just feed the cycle of like you needing reassurance and putting more onus on some of these thoughts or fears um, it can also be images as well. So, like, I know I share on the previous or on the podcast we did with uh, Jenna, like, perinatally, I had weird images of, like, C-sections, like, being kind of sliced open. Now, it sounds kind of weird, but that was just an image that would pop into my head as, like, kind of an aggressive, like, cut open, not, like, probably how it's typically done in a, surger- a surgery that's more, yeah. like, precise, but, like... I had a like a deep-seated fear of C-section, so, mm. um, and again, like rationally, I could rationalize my way out of it, but the image kept popping into your mm-hmm. head. Sometimes it can even be sensations. So like some mm. people have sensory OCD where like they they will like count how many times they blink and stuff. It's it's mm. there's a lot of different weird nuancey things with it, um, well, and again, even like being hyper vigilant to your gut symptoms and sensations um that's what i was gonna say can certainly be ocd-ish as well but you're you're dead on like i would revisit the same 
content and like i was sitting in therapy and i was like oh yeah like i feel like i'm getting a little ocd-ish about my ocd and we were kind of talking through and i was like yeah i'll go to content she's like my therapist was like and i'm like i don't know if this is okay to do because it does give me some reassurance and she was like well like are you getting new information or do you like do you go back to the same things and i'm like oh my god i do i like will go back to the same posts like five times and read it and i'm getting no inf- new information but i'm kind of rereading some of the stuff and it's it's more of a reassurance thing yeah um well so the theme so, here is i know you better than you know yourself for one right because right. we're cosmic litter baits um right. number two is again like it starts st- stretching the idea of what what an obsession is and what a compulsion is like you might not think that repeatedly looking for information about your condition or repeatedly like listening to a podcast or or going to a facebook group we haven't thrown facebook groups (laughs) under the bus in a couple of episodes so for those of you who might be new um i think that facebook groups for insert your health condition here are probably one of the worst things that you could do in the long run for your health. I feel like the time and place for that is when you're freshly diagnosed and you're just like trying to gather any preliminary information about what you're going through. But the longer you're in those scary ass echo chambers of terror, the more it just (laughs) takes away from your health. And if you think like how many people do we work with who are like in all of the SIBO groups, all the IBS groups, all of the Candida groups, all the leaky gut groups, the Hashimoto's groups, the whatever. And like, they are seeing it in the newsfeed. So the newsfeed is kind of handling the compulsion for you in a way, like it's an enabler already. But then even if it's not in your newsfeed, if you're like, Ooh, I've got to check my SIBO group to see if anybody posted any new potion I could get or any new, you know, any new information. It's like, well, that, that's starting to verge on this OCD compulsion kind of stuff. And it's like you, you know, that thought that you're going to find the magic bullet, the cure all that Mm -hmm. thought that like, you're finally going to find that one piece of information that reassures you and lets you know, it's all right. Right. Like, well, I think that's the same, same way with like testing too. like thinking Mm. that like, if you just test everything and and you'll find exactly like what you're going to get. So like testing is a big one for, for like, health OCD, because again, yeah. there's a, I don't know if we were especially clear here, but there is a subset of OCD that's health, health OCD. And a lot mm-hmm. of times it stems from having some sort of health issue or a health scare or something. Which is legitimate. Right. So again, like, it's not to say that like the symptoms that you experience aren't real. Um, it's not all it, in but your again, head. Right. But right. this can affect but, your healing. Right. And I, I, again, I, I emphasize this, I think in the episode, episode we do with Jenna, but it's like the degree of which you're being pulled away from pr- the present moment, I think is a really good gauge. So if you're someone that like really all of your time you're spending researching or testing or, and again, like, I think if you're having chronic issues, like doing a bit of research and like trying to be involved in your journey is important. But if it mm-hmm. becomes something where it's really consuming all your time and energy, yeah, that's can be a little bit of a red flag that maybe there is like some health anxiety or health OCD going on yeah. that, again, really could impact your journey. And again, like this is saying from someone who I, looking back now, um, 
it's been kind of a weird experience for me having been diagnosed with postpartum OCD. And I don't think I was ever like someone that had like severe OCD issues, but like looking back, I can look at different events in my life and be like, oh, I 100% was having like an OCD episode during this period of time. Um, Like things make sense just having been diagnosed and um, it's just been a really interesting thing. But for me, again, like I had gut issues that Mm -hmm. were going on, but because of my health OCD at the time, I think it really hindered my progress from getting better. And again, like it wasn't until I was almost like, screw it, I'm going to expose myself essentially. Oh, that sounded weird. (laughs) I'm going to do some exposures like eating foods outside um, outside of the elements that I typically eat or again the foods that I fear and I'm gonna Mm -hmm. play basketball and I'm gonna engage with friends more and I'm gonna like again do some of these things that are really important to me that I've kind of put off because I'm so consumed by the health issue and again a lot of times it's like you'll talk to people or my clients will be like I can't live my life until this stuff gets better and it's like I understand that to a point like maybe your quality of life isn't isn't the best right now but you still need to do your best to engage in life because you yeah. can kind of get s- the people with OCD in particular but even just health anxiety like you can get sucked into these rabbit holes and it can really really hinder your physical progress um and again mentally you just won't be doing as well either like you're yeah. you will won't be able to like um find joy or be present mm-hmm. And again, that's what life's all about. So it's just such a, I think it can be a tricky line to to toe. But if you're someone that feels like very much consumed by your health stuff, it might be a good idea just to kind of question like, you know, how can I change this percentage and ratio of how much time I'm spending on health stuff and kind of re-engage in life a bit more? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to reiterate something that came up a couple of times, but it's the frequency and the severity Mm -hmm. and the amount that it's hindering your life that seems to be the differentiating factor. If you go through a health episode or a health crisis, or if you get a new diagnosis, it's obviously going to be stressful. You have every right in the world to be anxious or depressed or have insomnia. And like, you need to process that. And, you know, it's it's not to say that everybody with IBS and SIBO should just be like frolicking with the unicorns through the rainbows and eating donuts all day mm-hmm. and like just whatever, right. like just be happy already. It's not to say right. that. And it's it's not to say it's all in your head. But what I've gotten accustomed to saying now with, with the people I work with is it's not all in your head, but the stuff in your head still matters. Right. Right. So it's like, you could still very well have candida or leaky gut or SIBO or Crohn's or whatever. Right. But if your mental health is, is holding you back or hindering you, then it's going to be a heck of a lot harder to heal from that. And, and I don't, I don't know if you remember it, a couple of months back, I posted a couple of posts about like a SIBO root cause framework. And I gave the analogy or the metaphor of a cliff. And what I was saying was um, basically like if your feet are on solid ground, that 
is representative of zero symptoms, perfect health. And then when you go, when you get shoved off the metaphoric cliff and you're hanging on by your fingernails, that is what we would identify as a symptom or a disease. And your goal in the healing journey is kind of like to climb back up on top of the cliff and get your feet back on solid ground. Right. Um, But if you think about that, there are going to be root causes that just nudge you closer to the edge of the cliff, but they don't actually throw you over. Right. So that might be something like genetics or like your upbringing or, or like something that happened in the past. Then there's usually a defining moment, a trigger like food poisoning or antibiotics or a lot of stress or an injury, something like that, where it's like you were relatively okay one minute and then pink off the cliff you go and now you're symptomatic right. with the SIBO or whatever. The third type of root cause that I proposed in that, that um, metaphor is that you're now hanging from your fingernails trying to get back up on the cliff and all of you have on backpacks. Some of you have backpacks full of feathers. Some of you have backpacks full of bricks. Having health OCD, especially when it's really bad, like in my mind, it might not even cause your problem. It might not be the trigger for your IBS or your SIBO, but it's like adding bricks to your backpack and you're gonna have to have the beefiest biceps on planet earth to get back up off that cliff and get to safe ground again if you don't empty out the damn backpack or at least try to acknowledge and empty out the backpack. So that's how I say it is like this kind of stuff. It might not be the trigger for you or the root cause for you per se, but it's Mm. gonna weigh you down and it's gonna make it that much harder to heal versus if you could start kind of working through some of this and like really, again, whether it be something like exposure therapy or regular therapy or something else, like just kind of getting more comfortable with the uncertainty. Because honestly, I don't know, like nothing in life is certain. An asteroid could come through my window right now. I have no way of knowing it. Like that's the human existence is to be uncertain. Well, and I, I think again, like that's, again, the whole goal of uh, exposure response uh, therapy. Um, And again, they expose you and then you're supposed to not do any of your compulsions. Mm -hmm. So like they're kind of putting you in a very fearful state and saying like, so again, I mean, this is the most extreme example that I think is easy to to think of. It's like that that girl that was scared of stabbing someone. It's like Mm -hmm. first they would have her maybe read an article about someone being stabbed. And then they would have her kind of like, again, go to therapy and play around with knives. And then like, again, like they would go where you'd be at a party with knives. And like, again, like it just kind of escalates and and that's sort of what ERP is about. But I think like the the really amazing thing is that um, it's a very very effective treatment, more so than really any other treatment for mental health issues. So like in terms of OCD, it's something that's very treatable, um, and again, it's it, you can make a lot of progress relatively, or at least I feel like I made a lot of progress really quickly. Um, with the right care, you really want to find the right therapist who knows about ERP because if you're not doing ERP and you have OCD, it can be problematic. It it would also be an interesting thing to note that like if you're someone that's gone to therapy and like for like anxiety or something like that and you haven't 
felt better after a lot of sessions, you might want to consider that maybe OCD is at play because traditional talk therapy actually makes OCD worse. It puts more meaning um, to the thoughts instead of having you kind of dismiss the thoughts. But like what you were saying about the doubt and kind of encouraging doubt, it's almost like just sitting with like, well, maybe I won't get better. Yeah. And sitting with that uncertainty. Yeah. And being like, okay with that. And again, that might cause an insane amount of anxiety for you to sit with that uncertainty, but you just have to sit there and kind of... It gets better know, with time. Right. The the degree of the reaction of the stress response is going to decrease over time. And to tie um, in two things that you had said throughout this episode, um, the reason, at least kind of how we've wrapped our head around it so far, hold on, let me write something down. Um the reason why talk therapy is not super effective for OCD is is kind of like what you've discussed. It's like you're trying to have a rational conversation and be the <laughs> lawyer, right? right? Like you're trying to have this very rational, logical debate with crackhead Steve. Right. Right? Like right. if, you know, and kind of the way you could picture it is like if, so let's use the house guest. If somebody came to your house and they seemed like a sane human being or if it was somebody you knew like if it was your neighbor bob and he came over and he was like oh your roof is on fire you should probably get out of the house you would believe bob probably because like you know bob you trust bob he's a good guy he's your neighbor and you would get out of the house if a crackhead came to your house all strung out is that the right word or term all strung out on crack and like mm-hmm. acted all crazy and like they've got one big eye and one little eye and they're just like disheveled <laughs> looking. And if this insane dude, Steve, like knocks on your door, not even a normal knock, like knock, 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 and you open the door and he like sprints into your house and he's like, the roof is on fire and the right, world right. is ending. Like, A, would you believe him or would you think I have to call the cops and get him out of my freaking house? But two, like, you wouldn't go into lawyer mode and right. start trying to rationalize, like, well, Steve, tell me more about how how you came to this conclusion. Why do you think the roof is on fire? Why do you right. think I should right. leave? Exactly. You would not do exactly. that at all in this right. scenario. So, like, you right. cannot play lawyer with crackhead Steve because, and you, like, you wouldn't do that in normal life. So why would you do it with OCD? Really just, like, right. acknowledging this is OCD, it's not me, or this is crackhead Steve, not me. I'm going to detach right. myself from it. And I'm going to, you know, like, not not feed into the cycle anymore. And I'm not going to, appe- like, in that scenario, to take it one step further, crackhead Steve comes sprinting into your house. He's got, like, one big eye, one little eye. He looks insane. He's disheveled. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, the roof is on fire. Leave the house right. immediately. Oh, my God. You could theoretically... Up- you could appease the crackhead temporarily if you're like, okay, dude, let's get out of here. And if you run out the door with him, but the minute right. you go back in the house, if he's still on crack in this example, <laughs> right, right. you know, like if the effect of the crack has not worn off, the minute you go back in the house, he's going to rush back in and be like, the house is on fire. Oh right. my God. So it's like, well, you it, could... gets, it gets worse. It asks, yeah. Again, like there's always more scenarios that your brain can imagine. So yep. like, again, there, you, there's what always if? more what if questions. Yep. And again, the more you feed into that, the more you're going to put way more time and energy into that. And I think 
the thing that happens too with crackhead steve is if you try to shut him down and say like okay you're just crackhead steve they will get louder and throw more of a tantrum get more crackheaded they're not getting their crack you know so steve's like where's my crack and so if the crack isn't at the party then over time crackhead steve might get really pissed he might be flipping tables right right telling you you're a horrible person Mm -hmm. like again just being crazy and then again if you don't feed him crack he will not visit as much maybe he'll go away completely maybe you just have a different relationship with crackhead steve but again like that's the goal is to just dissociate enough and and have less of a response but yeah yeah i mean again like it's been such a weird i think thing to come to terms with because there's even like little stuff like i was cracking up so jenna's gonna be on our podcast and she does really amazing youtube reels or uh, reels and one reel she put on which i've had this thought a million times like thinking my straighteners on and again like everyone might have this thought too where you're like oh my god did i turn my straightener off when i left so her reel was like did i turn off my straightener and then it's like that do you remember like it's that voice just going remember and then it's like more distorted like Mm. over time Mm -hmm. it's like remember and she's like again freaking out but like someone with ocd might drive home and check to make sure that they turned their their straightener off so it's like it's it can be little subtle things like that um where it's like oh it doesn't seem like a a big deal but it it's just an interesting that was an example that kind of cracked me up because like i feel like i've done that where i'm like oh my god did i leave my straightener on i don't know if i'd leave if i'd leave somewhere and i feel like yeah i think like i and and you know what's funny i wonder if there's any overlap whatsoever with ocd and add or adhd because like Mm. people with adhd well who are just like for lack of a better word a little flaky they might legitimately leave the straightener on and throw their house down well, and I, I will say, too, like, there's the biggest links with OCD, it seems like, that I found is eating disorders, mm-hmm. huge links, Makes orthorexia, sense. again, food fears, huge links with mm-hmm. OCD. Um, and then another big one is perfectionism. So mm-hmm. if you're a perfectionist, wanting things a certain way or like wanting certainty, that's very heavily linked with OCD as well. Which basically goes back to your comfort level with uncertainty or danger or perceived danger. It's funny, um, last year at some point I did this like, I don't want to call it a personality test. Um, I forget what it was called now, but basically like it's, it's geared for like business purposes and they break down like your traits into four categories and they rate you as like high, lower, medium. And I remember, um, I think the one, I think I scored really high on what they called quick start. Um, it's the Colby. Mm-hmm. Colby A is the test. Um, okay. And I remember like reading a little bit of like the characteristics associated with like somebody who's really high on the quick start scale mm-hmm. versus low. And I chuckled because I was like, oh, yes, this makes sense for me. Like I decided I wanted to do a podcast. I messaged you. You said yes. I immediately started researching and we started recording this podcast two, three weeks later, like right. I just decided and it was done. I decided right. I wanted to get on YouTube and I just did it. So I am very quick starty. But I, again, like I think that it's that like laid back type B, like, you know, it's going to be fine. Either way, like I right. would rather just do it and get it started and I'll figure it out as I go. Like I definitely have that kind of personality. 
Um, and I've joked with you, like, I don't think I have a crumb of OCD. But um, my husband, I was reading all of the characteristics of like people who are low on the quick startery scale. And I was like, Mike, 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 Mike. And like, I love my husband dearly. But I remember bringing that to his attention um, at one point, because I was like, Oh, yeah, this is this is probably part of why we drive each other crazy sometimes, because I'll do something all like quick starty, and not really worry about the risk. And and then he's like terrified of the risk. And he's like, Oh, my God, Nikki's doing something risky. Um, right. So anyway, yeah, it's just it's funny how like it pops up again and again. But yeah, it's like that comfort level with uncertainty, or potential harm. Um, or I don't even want to say harm, because that paints the picture that I'm gonna like go jump off a cliff with a with well, like a bungee that hasn't been checked. But um, I think I think it's weird, because like, there's, I'm laid back in different ways. Like, again, I, I would consider myself a relatively laid back person in a lot of ways. Yeah, but then I too. also have areas where, again, I could be a little bit more on the OCD side. Because um, it attacks things that you revs, value, right? Right. It revs up. So, like, again, like, I have high value in certain things, certain areas that might be fodder for OCT, whereas other areas are not at all. Yeah. So, it's strange, but... I do have to wrap up here. I, I apologize to um, apologize to the listeners. Oh, not I'm to sorry. me. I'm sorry, listeners. I have to, I have to wrap up. It's uh, okay. She I, has a cute baby to get back to, and Grandpa's. Well, I forgot too when we jump on. I do have some calls, oh. <laughs> like some discovery calls that I totally okay. forgot about. You go ahead, um, guys. You know the deal. Comment, like, subscribe, etc. And we will see you here on the IBS Freedom Podcast before you know it. Bye.